welcome to another exciting podcast from Living Faith Church. It's our hope and prayer that today's message will bring you closer and deeper to the heart of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now here is our lead pastor, Pastor Dean Hackett. America was going through a major cultural revolution. Timothy uh, Leary and Ken Keasley and his merry band of pranksters going across the nation with the electric Kool-Aid in the psychedelic bus future uh, was turning America upside down. Go ahead and go to the next slide for me was turning uh, America literally upside down. In 1964, when Tim Leary introduced LSD into the American culture, people began to turn on, tune in, and drop out. And in 1967, the Beatles released their psychedelic record, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Heart Club's Band. That same summer, between 65,000 and 100,000 hippies gathered for the summer of love in the Haight-Ashbury district of San Francisco. Into that cultural revolution, another culture began to rise unexpectedly. As hundreds and thousands, some say over 200,000 hippies began to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. Hundreds were being baptized in the Pacific Ocean. A Jewish couple that were uh, record producers, Tony uh, Alamo and his wife, came to saving faith and received Jesus Christ as their Messiah. And they began a street ministry. And then a pastor at Hollywood Presbyterian Church opened up a coffee house in downtown LA. Pastor McDonald and a hippie couple that had come to salvation, the Willises, they opened up a coffee shop right in Haight-Ashbury. As people began to take the gospel of Jesus Christ outside the four walls, outside the salt shaker, and bring the salt and light of Jesus Christ into the streets, a whole new revolution was taking place called the Jesus People Movement. And it had two primary similarities. Wherever you went, whether it was in Seattle or whether it was in San Francisco or L.A., it had, it had two characteristics that were the same. Only one way, Jesus. He's the only way to heaven. One way, Jesus. The other was a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit was beginning to take place. Into this new culture, America was in a season of deep darkness. The Pentecostal revival had begun to wane The tent revivals of the 1940s and 50s were beginning to wane. And the Pentecostal churches were turning uptown and uh, and, and becoming uh, very 
very mechanical in their, in their ways of doing things. And in that, in that spiritual vacuum came the Hare Krishnas and Baha'i and a whole new wave of, uh, of spiritism began to come. And into that came the drug culture. And of course, into that came the, the rebellion against the Vietnam War, okay? The unpopular war. I didn't know wars were supposed to be popular. They're horrible. And, and into that scenario, God began to pour his spirit again. And at the same time, this new counterculture move of God was happening with the hippies and the long hair, another move of God was going on. An Episcopalian priest that pastored St. Mark's Episcopalian Church in Van Nuys, California, on Palm Sunday, 1960, announced courageously to his congregation that he had received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in other tongues just like what happened in Acts chapter 2. And then on Easter Sunday, he talked about it again and gave an invitation. And dozens of his people began receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And he got the left foot of fellowship from that congregation. And he moved to Seattle and took a small Episcopalian church in the south part of Seattle. And just continued teaching on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And his book, Nine O'Clock in the Morning, came out. And something new was starting to happen in the mainline churches. In the spring of 1966, two professors at Duquesne University in Pennsylvania, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, a Roman Catholic university, began to get hungry for more of God. And as they were seeking God and, and looking for God, someone gave them the book by David Wilkerson, The Cross and the Switchblade. And then another person gave them the book by John and Elizabeth Shirell. They speak with other tongues. And those two professors discovered that what they were hungering for was what was in Acts chapter 2. And they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking of the tongues. And in February of 1967, took 25 of their students at the university on a three-day weekend retreat called Holy Spirit. And those 25 students received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And word spread and it leapfrogged to Notre Dame University and it leapfrogged to Michigan State University and now not only was the baptism of the Holy Spirit happening in the mainline churches the Methodists and the Presbyterians and the Episcopalians and the Lutherans now was happening inside the Roman Catholic Church and a whole new wave of God was going on among the hippies and among the other people of America God was visiting America with a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit. A new Pentecost was taking place.
It had happened at the turn of the 20th century. And now it was happening in the 1960s. And it was turning America upside down. What was going on? Exactly what Jesus said to his disciples is recorded for us in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24. Jesus had risen from the dead. His disciples had gathered together at a home in Jerusalem. And, and they were discussing among themselves, man, could this really be real? Is Jesus really risen from the dead? And suddenly here Jesus is standing right in the middle of them. And they're filled with fear. Is this really Jesus? He shows them his hands and his feet. And they still were having trouble believing. And so Jesus said, have you got anything to eat? I'm hungry. And so they gave him some boiled fish and honey. And he says, now look, I'm eating. Flesh and blood. Spirits don't eat like this. I'm flesh and blood. Yeah, it's really, really me. I've risen from the dead. And then he renewed to them over the next 40 days. He renewed to them the great commission. It's recorded in Matthew chapter 28. As therefore uh, uh, go and make disciples of all nations. It's recorded in Mark. Go preach the gospel unto every creature. He was giving them the great commission. Take the gospel message to all the world. In Luke 24, as he's talking about this, the scripture says, he opened their understanding. You see, their, their spiritual eyes were closed and they needed to have the same thing that the Apostle Paul talked about in Ephesians chapter 1 when he said, I pray that the spirit of wisdom and revelation will come to you and your spiritual eyes will be open to see what mighty things God did when he raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And Jesus was opening their understanding to see and behold. And he was telling them, look, repentance from sin has to be preached throughout all nations. Go. But then he said, an interesting, interesting. But he said in verse 49, don't go do anything until you're clothed with power from on high. He gave them the commission, but he also knew they wouldn't be able to really fulfill it if they didn't have divine power working through them. So don't go do anything. He commanded them, wait in Jerusalem until you're clothed with power on high. <clears throat> when Luke wrote his companion volume to the gospel of Luke, we know it as the book of Acts. Sent to the same guy, a guy named Theophilus. And when he, when he, when he, wrote, when he wrote to him this, in the book of Acts, he said it this way. He said, but Jesus said, tarry in Jerusalem until you receive the promise of the Father, which saith he, you've heard of me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And then verse 8 says, and you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world. Luke was making it really clear. The promise of the Father was the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 
That's the promise of the Father. God wants to not only have the Holy Spirit dwell in you when you're born again. He wants the Holy Spirit to clothe you, to come upon you, and to give you a divine holy anointing that comes from on high. Amen? Go ahead. Give Father a praise. Go ahead. Now, the, the disciples, the apostles, obeyed that command. How do we know that? Acts chapter 2. Pastor read it to you earlier today. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were gathered together in one place in one accord. That, by the way, doesn't mean they were all in... Anyway, they're not talking about a car. It means they were all in unity. They were all in harmony. And they were gathered together. And while they were worshiping and praising God, the Holy Spirit came upon them in a powerful way. But that's not the only place that talks about it. In Acts chapter 8, one of the disciples named Philip became an evangelist. So he was no longer a, uh, uh, a deacon. Now he was an elder. Deacon Philip became evangelist Philip. And he went north into the Samaria region. And he began preaching the gospel there. And it said that the entire city came to salvation. And they baptized them in water. And when the apostles in Jerusalem heard what was going on in Samaria. They sent Peter and John to them. Listen, the scripture says, because they had not yet received the Holy Spirit. They were born again, they were baptized in water, but they had not yet received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't saying that the Holy Spirit had not yet come and dwelt in them. They couldn't have been born again if Holy Spirit wasn't dwelling in them. Remember Romans chapter 8 verse 9 says, if we don't have the Holy Spirit, we're not born again. And so, yeah, they had the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. They weren't baptized in the Holy Spirit yet. And so it said when Peter and John got there, they laid hands on them and they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But that's not the only place. In Acts chapter 10, the apostle Peter is sent to the home of a Gentile. For the first time in history, the gospel is specifically going to Gentiles. And he went to the home of Cornelius to share with Cornelius the gospel. But when he got there, Cornelius was not a selfish man. He had gathered all of his family and relatives and community people. And his house was filled with people. And as Peter was preaching the gospel to them, the scripture says that they were all baptized in the Holy Spirit. And Peter looked to the other disciples that were with him and said, wow, we better baptize them in water. They've received the Holy Spirit just like we have. And so they baptized them in water. Isn't that curious? On one occasion, they'd been born again and were baptized in water. Then they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now on this occasion, they get born again and baptized in the Holy Spirit. Then they had to be baptized in water. I'm sharing that with you because I want you to understand being baptized in the Holy Spirit is not the same thing as being baptized in water. They're two different experiences. 
Just as being born again and being baptized in the Holy Spirit are two different works of God's grace in our life. And God wants us to have both in our life. They're both really, really important. One more sharing with you. In Acts chapter 19, the apostle Paul has gone to the city of Ephesus. He meets 12 men who were disciples of John the Baptist. And he shares with them about Jesus Christ And they go, oh, wow, okay, because they were still followers of the law and John the Baptist, he wanted them to know you need to be followers of grace and be born again through Jesus Christ. And they were, and he baptized them in water. Then he laid hands on them and they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. What am I sharing with you? I want you to understand the baptism of the Holy Spirit isn't just a one-time experience that happened on the day of Pentecost in AD 33. It is an experience God wants his church to experience all down through history. God wants his church to have it all down through history. Well, how do I know that? Because Peter said on the day of Pentecost, when they asked him, what do we need to do? He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For this promise is unto you and to your children and to all who are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. The Pentecostal experience, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is for everyone in every generation of the church of the Lord. Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, and we need it today. We desperately need it today. That is what will help the church of the Lord Jesus Christ reach the snowflakes of this generation. Help us reach the aged baby boomers and baby busters of this generation. We got to see it. This drug-crazed, sex-crazed, totally embracing anything that comes along, if it feels good, do it, generation. We have got to have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Embracing any God they can think of, any spirit that they can think of, we have got to have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That is what will turn our nation upside down. Baptism of the Holy Spirit. Well. How does someone know if they've received the baptism of the Holy Spirit? What's the evidence? Well, it's really, it's really interesting to note. On the day of Pentecost, there came several indicators. There came a sound from heaven, like a mighty wind blowing. Flames began to appear on the ones that were gathered there, like they were on fire. And then they began to speak with other tongues. You know what's really interesting? I've I've had this same experience happen in our ministry on two different occasions. Way back in 1972, we we were planting a new church in a a brand new suburb of Toronto, Canada called Bramalee, right next door to uh, a really older, much older community called Brampton. And uh, yes, that same Brampton, if you remember the Toronto airport stuff going on in Brampton, Ontario. Yeah, we were right next door in this brand new community called Bramalee. 
And we were experiencing a mighty wave of revival. This was in the summer of 1973. The church plant had been going on for a year. And we were having a mighty wave of revival. We had a team come up from Lee College helping us do an outreach that summer. And we were seeing people come to salvation every day. It was amazing what God was doing. And one uh, one night as we were we had closed down the meeting that night and uh, we were just praying and walking around in the building and crying out to God and suddenly the building just filled with the Holy Spirit and as we were praying and walking we, we, we had uh, it was a tile floor and uh, uh, just the presence of God was heavy and it had lifted to about like here and you could, you could feel it it was like walking in 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 peace soup or something because you could feel it at head level and I reached out to I was gonna I was gonna hug one of the brothers reach your hand out I reached out to him like this and as I did fire went from my palm of hand to the palm of his hand and he jumped and the guy behind him fell under the power of the Holy Spirit I went whoo and I mean God was just moving and the next night in the meetings Someone came off the street and came in and said, the house is on fire. The building's on fire. You better get out of here. And I went out and looked and the building, there were flames coming up. It wasn't on fire, but flames were coming off. This is no exaggeration. I mean, God was in the house in a mighty way. And that church just continued to grow. We continued to see people get saved. It was amazing what God was doing. And then a few years later, the youth camp that Wanda and I were leading, uh, we, were, we were seeing teenagers come to salvation. And, and this one night, I, I'm not exaggerating, we had a pile of marijuana and, and heroin and other drugs piled up on the altar. And it was piled up that high like that. I had two thoughts. One is, oh my goodness, they brought all this to youth camp. <laughs> the second was, oh, hallelujah, thank God, they're getting set free. And of course, we took it and we we flushed it all down the toilet. I know that's probably not politically correct to do, but that's what we did to get rid of all of it. And as God continued to move in that camp, the next night I went out because one of the young people was getting delivered from demonic possession out in the courtyard and I went out to see how that was going on and when I turned back to look flames were coming off the building it was just absolutely the fire of almighty God now dear ones that's awesome to see that kind of a physical manifestation but can I tell you that's the exception not the rule Let me show you what was the consistent pattern in Scripture. They not only had the wind and the fire, the flames, they they spoke in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. In Acts chapter 9, it says there was some sort of a supernatural experience, but doesn't tell us exactly what it was. Just some sort of a supernatural experience that made a warlock want that power in his life. In Acts chapter 9, the Apostle Paul received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And in 1 Corinthians 14 verse 18, he says, I thank God I speak with tongues more than you all. 
In Acts chapter 10, when it talks about the Gentiles receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the apostle Peter said this, can we forbid them to be baptized in water who has received the Holy Spirit as well as we? For we have heard them speak in other tongues. In Acts chapter 19, when the apostle Paul laid hands on those 12 men that had been disciples of John the Baptist, and they were all baptized in the Holy Spirit, he said they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Now, what's the consistent pattern? In every case, it talks about speaking in other tongues. Only one time it does not. Now, what I find really curious is there are entire movements that want to build their doctrine on the Holy Spirit on the exception when it doesn't say they spoke in tongues instead of taking all the others where it says they do. Now, does that make sense? To take the exception and make it the rule instead of taking what is consistent throughout. Wouldn't it be more correct to take all the consistent and say, you know what? They probably spoke in tongues in chapter 8. It just wasn't recorded because that's what happened everywhere else. You don't take the exception and make it the rule. You take the consistency and say, that's the pattern. And that's what I'm saying to you today. What is the consistent scriptural pattern of how we know someone is baptized in the Holy Spirit? It's because they speak with other tongues as the Holy Spirit gives them the ability to do that. Amen? Hallelujah. What a wonderful gift from God. Why? Why does God want people baptized in the Holy Spirit? Would you stand with me, please? There's one reason. Power. You need the power of God in your life. I know you're born again. You receive Jesus, Lord and Savior. Isn't that enough, Pastor? No. No, God wants to give you a supernatural, a divine impartation of what Scripture calls dynamite. Holy Spirit dynamite in your life. One of the young men that was at that Holy Spirit retreat at Duquesne University that weekend, 50 years later, said, when I read that the Greek word there for power was the word dynamite, I thought, you know, I'm religious, but I don't have power. I want to have dynamite in my life. And he began to seek God and was baptized in the Holy Spirit before he ever got to the retreat. (laughs) Hallelujah. Almighty God wants your life to be filled with that kind of power. We are so blessed that you join us online today. For more resources on how you can grow your relationship with Jesus Christ, visit us online at www.winacity.com. If you would like to speak with someone about your relationship with Jesus Christ or would like prayer, you can contact us at 541-567-4486 or email us at info at